0: Please be seated. I'm not preaching on the gospel. I'm preaching on Colossians. But I have to just point out, when that passage gets read, I'm always kind of amused at the disciples. When they say, do you realize you made them angry? Yeah. (laughs) Should I take it back? Is that what Jesus would say? Anyway. So we are in the middle of our... um, Study on Colossians. Reading up and studying on how the church is supposed to grow up in Christ, mature in Christ. And in the first few weeks, we spent a lot of time talking on identity, what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to become a follower of Christ and have your old self wiped away and a new self put in place, a self who is righteous before God. And then last week, Alex promised as he started talking that he was going to start to talk about the activity that comes from our identity. In other words, what do we do now that we're Christians? You know, because activity flows from who we are. And I don't know if you noticed, but he spent no time talking about activity at all. In fact, he doubled down on talking about identity again. In fact, that's what Paul does in his letter. It's As if that is still the most important thing, as if we still don't get it, as if we're still begging for a list of things to do in order to prove ourselves to God. Now, Alex pointed out last week as well that there were two groups who were trying to weave their way into the church with their teachings. Both are basically saying the same thing, which is you need to do stuff to get right with God. The first group was the Judaizers. They were Jewish people who saw the Christians as baby Jews. And in order to become full followers of God, they just needed to follow certain laws and eat certain foods. And then they would be accepted by God. And the other group were the ascetics, the sort of mystics. And people who would fast for days so that their body would start malfunctioning. And they'd have ecstatic visions of heaven. And they were saying, hey, these are the things you need to do to be really spiritual and get to know who God is. But identity must come first. And Paul says again and again that we cannot get our identity before God through our activity. And what is that identity? But one rooted in the cross. Rooted in the fact that God has died for us, died for our sins And wiped them away. So, why is this happening in Colossae, this specific kind of teaching, these specific problems? Well, Colossae is a little different than some of the other cities in the Roman Empire. It's actually what you would consider a little friendlier towards things like Christianity and Judaism, because they are aesthetics. They believe in restraining themselves and restraining their passions for the sake of getting closer to God. So it kind of mimics what actions brought out of love would be. They're probably saying many of the same things that are being said inside the church. And so members would be like, hey, this sounds like, this sounds like what we say. What, what, maybe we can learn some more from them. So that's why it kind of weaves its way in. It's familiar. It's a little bit friendlier. They have more language in common with one another. Unlike the rest of the Roman Empire, which goes out and parties and does other awful things, Colossae is a little more restrained. But it actually doesn't mean it's less destructive to the church. So let's get into the passage a little bit as we get going. You'll notice that um, as soon as we get into the passage... It's a therefore passage. So everything that happened before, which we just talked about, where Paul is again doubling down on identity, this is who you are. You have been forgiven by God. That Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. God is our judge. Christ has taken the judgment for us. Therefore, the world's judges have been disarmed. Therefore, ignore everything they're saying. Don't pay attention to these people. Not a word is basically what the next few passages speak. I'm paraphrasing. But it is what he's saying. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, the Jewish believers. These are all Jewish kind of traditions. He's saying, don't let them pass judgment on on you about those things. You don't need to pay attention to what they're saying in order to be a follower of Christ. He says they were they are shadows of things to come. Paul's a Jew. These are things he practiced. They had value. They pointed towards Jesus. But now that we have Jesus, why are we going to go back to the shadows? That makes no sense. That means you're looking for something more than what you have. And what you have is everything. So he says, ignore them. And then let no one disqualify you. Very similar wording. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Meaning the worshiping like an angel. These are the ascetics. Let them not say that you need to be doing more beating up of your body in order to have visions in order to learn how to live a healthy lifestyle or something like that. It wasn't necessarily that healthy. Some of them were. Ignore them, he says. Remember your identity. These people, these aesthetics, they're not holding on to anything. They're kind of drifting into mystical realms, kind of seeing whatever they're going to see. They're not spiritual kelp, as Alex said last week. I looked for some other vegetable that I could, like, match his kelp comment with. And, I, you know, it's like everything I thought of just didn't work. It's like, mushroom? No. Aren't they technically a fruit of some kind? You know, I, I don't know. Asparagus? Maybe Anne can help me later. We'll find something. I don't know. But they're, they're not rooted in anything. They're not rooted in the head, he says. They don't have Christ as their center. Therefore, when they go into these meditative, ecstatic visions, who knows what they're seeing, what they're learning, what they're attaching themselves to. They're just like, hey, man, you got to go there. you got to be the hippie, man. Just what happened?" happen. I can say that because my wife used to be a hippie. She, she's not going to die. So he says, you know, look... Ignore these people. They're just going to pass judgment on you. And then he's sort of like almost dismissively as the end of what we're reading today. Besides, these indeed have the appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and the severity to the body, but they are of no value, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they can't even do the first thing. Not only do they not get you closer to God, they don't help you behave any better. So, this whole passage, I think we can sum up if we just go watch the movie Parenthood with Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. Many of, you, many of you have seen it. One of you has seen it. Okay. I mean, it's a great movie. And, but one of the characters in it is Rick Moranis playing a very unlikely character for him, which is the obsessed father of a small child. And he has the child doing everything right. You know, she's in Taekwondo. She's learning several languages. She listens to Mozart only. She can find the square root of 6,000-something or other and whatever, you know. He's got everything down on what this child needs to be successful, to be the uber child. And all he does is walk around and tell everyone else what to do. You know, you really shouldn't be feeding your child that. You know, your child can join mine for ballet class, and you know. You know, my child's better than your child because your child puts a bucket on its head and my child can do math. And your child's still eating crayons. But that's what law does. That's what judgment does. He has heaped on himself so many expectations for what it means to be a father of the perfect child that he is now spreading it to everyone he can. Because that's what we do. Whatever law we're under, whatever judgment we weigh ourselves down on, we will gladly put on everyone else around us. Because then that takes our eyes off ourselves. And not only that, just like the passage said, it doesn't actually work. You know, his family, he's got a wife, child, and they're one child, the only one. And, you know, he and his wife have a little bit of a tough discussion and as he walks out she goes into her closet and finds the shoebox full of snacks that she's not supposed to have you know the twinkies and everything else and starts eating them and like like he's not in the room but eating like it's in his face this is what this kind of behavior does this kind of community built around law and judgment builds only resentment and rebellion I mean, this is why gossip columns are so popular, right? This is why we like to look at others' flaws. You know, Alex spoke last week about what can happen to a church that succeeds in some activity without the identity in Christ. If a church kind of like pulls itself up, cleans itself up, begins to do a little bit of ministry, begins to gain a few more members, and starts to feel proud about its, itself and its accomplishments rather than in Christ. And that very quickly the church becomes proud and wonders why everyone on the outside isn't more like them on the inside. And the people on the outside start walking in going, I don't like these people because I walk in and they look at me funny. Like I don't belong. Now what he didn't say is then the next step, when the new people stop showing up, is that since there's no one new to judge walking through the door, we start judging each other in the building. We all start snipping at each other and going, oh, why aren't people showing up and that's your fault or... It's that group's fault. We did our job. You didn't do your job. Without that identity grounded in Christ, but in the success of the church. When the church isn't successful, it falls apart. Rather than just becoming prayerful. So why would a church let this happen? Think about it. You experience the freedom of Christ. You experience grace. You experience this transformative experience. Well, I use that word way too many times in that sentence. Um, Why are you going to let these people in the door? Why are you going to let these ideas weave their way in? Well, I think one of the reasons is just a simple matter of it's in the water. It's what we're surrounded by. It makes sense. Like the asceticism of these people kind of made sense to the Christians. You're trying to restrain your passions for the sake of the divine. I get it. You want to be closer to God, so you stop like acting so badly. All right. But when they replace the cross, it becomes a problem. We see this happening all the time. There's in youth ministry class. Um, we heard a great story about this group of Southern Baptist Midwestern women, who were missionaries, who were going to Germany to meet Southern Baptists and. Germany. Sort of like a fellowship, fun meeting, discuss worldwide mission kind of get-together. They'd never met each other before. And so the American Southern Baptists got themselves all dressed up, got their makeup on, got their finest outfits to go on this trip, flew over to Germany. They get there, they meet their host families, everyone's happy to meet each other, saying hello. And then the um, German women say, okay, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. We're going to go down to the local beer garden. What? The, we're going to the local beer garden to get, you know, get a beer and have some sausage and fritzel, German food, and okay, so they went and these German women began drinking beer with dinner. No, the Americans didn't, but they said okay, maybe this is. We'll just put up with this tradition. It's a celebratory night, you know. We'll have soda. Well, after a few days, the Americans realized that these German women were drinking beer every evening. And they had to do something about it. So finally, they approached them and said, We're sorry, we, 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 we've been trying to be understanding, but we really have to approach you about the fact that you're so sinful. And they're like, What? Well, you're drinking every night. And this is a big problem for us. And the German women kind of look at them and go, well, we're glad you brought that up, because we've got something we want to talk about, too. You know all that makeup you wear? And all those fine clothes you have on? We find that kind of adornment wasteful and provocative, and think you, you guys really have a problem with being obsessed with your appearance. We've been trying to figure out how to tell you that. They're like, wait, what? Now, the beautiful thing about that story is that they began to laugh at each other, and gathered around the cross as their focus. They learned that they had these things that had weaved their way into their religion, into their relationship with God, that were not actually central to their faith. That's not always what happens. They had the cross at the center of their lives, which allowed that conflict to resolve in that way. When things really begin to fall apart is that when the church forgets that it is fundamentally bound not by her successes, but by her failures, by her brokenness, and by her restoration, not by our holiness, not by our activity, not by our actions. See, we come into church And we have these wonderful things that happen, and then we mess up, we fail, we fall, we embarrass ourselves, and we don't want to be real anymore with the people around us. And so instead of focusing again on repentance and restoration, we begin to do one of two things. One, we begin to look toward the past, towards our past successes that we see. And we rob God the glory of the things that happened when we first came to faith i beginning to repeat those stories and live in those stories. There's an old Hemingway story, a um, short story about a, a soldier who comes back from war. And he has a, a, you know, he's welcomed back, a hero. He goes to the pubs. Everybody wants to hear his stories. And he keeps telling his stories. And the more he tells them, the more he finds the need to tell them, the less people want to listen to them. As they fall into obscurity. And finally, he's alone with his story. And we often do that with our early walk, trying to relive that rather than living in the modern repentance that we need. Either that or we're trying to, find, to make ourselves holier. Say, so, okay, now I just need to fix myself to get back to where I was. You know, I got brought in by God, loved by God, graced by God, and now it's up to me to fix myself back up again because he fixed me up and now I'm broken again so I can't ask him again to fix me. So I'll do some sort of spiritual activity in order to be better. So, like, you know, for me it was fasting, and I was fasting really successfully 15 years ago, once a week, long-term fasts sometimes. And then I had one particular sin that is, was just bugging me, and I decided I was going to force God's hand. Oh my like, God, you're going to get rid of this sin, and to make you get rid of this sin, I'm going to fast all of Lent. Right? So that way you'll do it the most loving discipline I ever got from God. Two hours later, it was gone. I hadn't even fasted a day. He said, you are not going to force anything out of me. You cannot force my gifts. I give them. How does that work? That discipline. I got more for less, and I felt terrible and loved at the same time. He knew exactly what to do. He said, Stop fasting. It's become a tool that you think you can manipulate me by, and you are not going to earn my love or healing. We're just trying to cover up something. We're trying to cover up that we still fail and fall inside the church. But not only that, we think that the cross has failed when that happens. We think that something's wrong when that happens with the church. When we go when we slip up and we have a drink again or we have a fight with our spouse again or we steal again or are dishonest at work again, we think something must be wrong. We've forgotten that we are a community bound by failure. What is our identity. It's the cross, right? Paul has said this. Your identity is that you have been bought by the blood of Christ on the cross. That is who you are. What was the church doing at the cross at that moment? Anyone? You can say it out loud if you want. All right, it's Sunday morning. Nobody's going to say it out loud. We were running away. We were hiding. We were betraying. We were denying. We were cowering. The church, at the moment of her foundation, the most important thing in history for us, the death of Christ on the cross, we were sinning. And in the midst of that denial of him, he was forgiving. We are bound by that failure. And that bond is far stronger than any success. Because as we gather together, knowing that we have failed, we are not alone. We can confess to one another. We can go to one another when we sin and break and hurt others and hurt ourselves and go, help me. and our brothers and sisters will go, yes, I will help you because I've been there. I'm not above you. I'm not better than you. I am with you in this because we have a God who will restore us together. The church is a place where we are not alone because no one can disqualify us from the love of God. No one. He is our only judge and he has taken the price on himself and left none for us so that we might have our new identity in him and love one another. Amen.